Hey nurses, welcome to the Nurse Dot Podcast, giving nurses validation, resources, and hope one episode at a time. Today on Nurse Dot Podcast. I know that patients healed in spite of what we were doing for them and not because of what we were doing for them. Our bodies are fundamentally geared to heal. You and I are not the healer. Only a body can heal. I can't build new tissue in a wound. I cannot build new skin on a patient, but I can facilitate an environment to help the body do what it does best. Joining us today, Tracy Rogers, a registered nurse with over 33 years of experience and a comprehensive background in wound care, long-term care, and writing standards of practice and quality assurance. Tracy continues to teach for Wound Care Education Institute and Relias, as well as sits as an expert witness and consultant in legal and malpractice cases. On today's episode, Tracy goes into detail about a tragic accident that forced her to experience the world through the eyes of a patient. Tracy Rogers, it is a pleasure to meet you. How about we just kick it off with just a little bit about like who you are, what you do, and then we'll talk a little bit more about what we're going to dig into on this episode specifically, which is this kind of experience you had around this horrific car crash and wound healing and all of that. How exciting. I am coming up on my 11-year anniversary, 12-year anniversary of my car accident. Really learned a lot. It's different being a patient than being a nurse. And you learn that there are good and bad healthcare professionals, <laughs> just like everything else we approach in life, right? Much of what we, where we go and where we come from that is attitude and what you do with it. So I'm happy to share any and all of that with you today. Well, I really appreciate that. But yeah, tell me, you've been a nurse a long time also. Super long time. I hate to say this. So I turned 53 this year. I've been a registered nurse for 34 years. And it's so weird to say that because when I was 19, and I can tell you, I tell my students when I'm teaching wound classes, I know that when I was looking at 40 or 45-year-old nurses and you're 19 and 20, you're like, ooh, wow, they're super old. You know, they're ancient. And now I'm one of those. I'm there. I'm one of those when we talk about things in wound care, like doing sugar dyeing and wet to dry and drying things out and using fans and all of the old stuff that when I say wounds healed in spite of what we were doing for it and not because of what we were doing for it, it was from that whole realm. And I think there's a lot to be said for coming up through the ranks and seeing everything from old, old fashioned to where we're at now. I uh, went into nursing, knew from a very young age that I wanted to be a nurse. One of my best friends and I graduated top of our class. So we got into nursing school. She was 17. I was 18 when we got in. She turned 18 during that summer and we were babies. I don't even know how I look back now. I'm like, I don't even know how they let us in, but we were smart. And she was one of those. I was always weirdly jealous because she was a very smart, 
naturally smart. Just learn things seem to come easy for her. Now she may tell you different, but in my my view, <laughs> my vision of what I saw with her was that um, it came easier. I had to work for everything that I got. I had really I developed really really good study skills when I was younger, and it has paid off for me my entire life. It was either that or be a bus driver. So that was my five year old goal. So when somebody said, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" I said, "A nurse or bus driver." Well, those are two very different, those are two very different careers. Everybody on the planet is glad that I'm not a bus driver because everything I drive (laughs) is like little and fast. And I would probably be in an orange jumpsuit somewhere, you know, if I had to drive a middle school bus because I wouldn't have the tolerance for those, (laughs) for those kids. But the reason why I bring that up is because people leave an impression in our life in one way or the other. And when I was in kindergarten, our kindergarten bus driver, his name was Lee. He and his wife used to come on and they would always make such a big deal about when you would get on the bus. It would be like, oh, Tracy, you look so cute today. You're nice to have you. A wonderful day. And take your seat, you know, and it was just kindergartners. And from the time I was little, my view of a bus driver was that person who every single day, twice a day, made you feel like you were the best person on the face of the planet, you know, so much so that I would want to be a bus driver. Now, I had never had any healthcare issues. So I literally have a huge paper that says, what do I want to be when I grow up? And it was written when I was in kindergarten, when our parents night was, and they got to come, they got to see, and it said the number one thing was the bus driver, second thing was the nurse. I'm so glad today (laughs) that I chose the path of becoming a nurse because I've always had in me like I love taking care of people. I love seeing progress. I love seeing things heal. And I think that's one reason why wound care specifically was a really good natural fit and a natural draw for me. So yes, I've been in it from what seems like dinosaur times until where we're at now (laughs) in today's society. Hey, you know, I've heard 60 is the new 40. That was just on a text thread the other day. We, and and every age that we get, we're going to keep changing that number. You know that when we turn 70, this this group that we're in, we're going to be like, what is this, what they call Gen X or whatever we are, uh, that we are going to be whatever it is that is that point in that year of our life will be the super cool. We are rocking it. We are not going down. You know, we are fighting this age thing hard. (laughs) So anyway, yeah, loving every bit of it. I was just made a grandma, um, my oldest son. I have two boys. I, they are both kind of in the, if you will, healthcare uh, area. My youngest son is an EMT and he's graduating rookie school with the Clark County Fire Department. My oldest son is a dentist and he's in his residency for orthodontics. And then his wife, his darling little wife, is has her doctorate of physical therapy that she just graduated with. So they just had their firstborn last a week ago Sunday. So it's weird. I'm officially in the grandma, I say glamma group. So lots of fun, exciting things going on in this time of my life. Oh, this is this is a very exciting time in your life. I think there was uh, one of the things that I I take away from what you were just saying when you were talking about the whole bus driver thing, the whole being a bus driver. (laughs) But then you were hit by a bus, weren't you? I know. I know somewhere in this universe, in this world, there is some weird irony of that that I'll understand later on. I had never been in a car accident. I had never broke a bone. And then in good Tracy fashion, like I 
totaled my car wasn't actually my fault. There was a tour bus that made an illegal U-turn in front of me on the freeway. And they were trying to turn in the dirt median that says no U-turn to go the other way. Um, I was literally the epitome of when they say stay in your own lane. I was literally like center in my lane, like just in my lane. And this tour bus made this turn right in front of me. And um broke everything from the neck down my neck in nine places my lower back both arms both legs traumatic brain injury fracture in my skull collapsed lung yes 22 broken bones and it wasn't any of the small bones no no fingers toes or ribs it was all big stuff you know <laughs> so i am here to tell you i tell my students i tell every time i have a speaking engagement like our bodies are meant to heal um how we get them there and what you do with it is going to be up to you. One of my surgeons told me uh, the first, because I was in and out, I think I've had probably 37 surgeries. I'm what I call the $1.6 million woman. That is with your PPO discount, right? That's what my insurance paid in after all of the discounts. are. I have no magical powers. I can tell you when it's going to rain tomorrow or if the weather is going to drop. That's the only thing I can tell you because my left hip and my left knee will start to ache pretty good, but I don't have, I can't, I don't have x-ray vision. I made a metal and all kinds of fancy parts, but there was a lot that I learned from that. Um, I was really grateful that I had my background in nursing because I can tell you for all the numerous facilities that I went to, all the surgeries that I had, that um, my sister, who's also a nurse, uh, she's a wound care nurse as well. She was with me for a lot of this. In fact, they set a room up at their home. Instead of sending me to a rehab center, they, my insurance case manager authorized for me to have a room at my sister's home where they brought all the equipment in so that I could be there and just have home health, OT, PT, all of those things, you know, personal carried everything. And was really grateful because that made it possible. So my kids, because they were in high school then, they were a freshman and senior in high school that they were able to come and be able to stay with me on weekends when they weren't in school. And, you know, at, whereas at a rehab center, they wouldn't be able to stay overnight there or even, you know, visiting hours were limited. This was back in 2011. And so um, my whole experience was very different than what a lot of people would experience. And and my primary surgeon said, well, the first time that I went home, because they kind of put me together in parts and bits and pieces, like they couldn't do everything at one time. It would be, it wasn't even a reasonable thought. You know, it was kind of like they stabilized the big stuff and would send me home and then bring me back in a few days later and put something in, take something out, send me home, bring me back. It's so much so that when I would go into pre-op, uh, you know, I go to the pre-op center that I had most of my surgeries at University Medical Center because that's where most of my surgeons were for the trauma center. They were kind of like assigned to you. Right. And so I stayed with many of my original surgeons and my primary surgeon, ortho, he said the first time I went home, he said, now's when the real work begins, like us doing your surgery, getting you through that. That's about 40 percent of your recovery, what you do with this on the tail end, how much you put into it is going to be what you get out of it at the end. And it was a long, hard, like four years. It was a lot, a lot more than I had anticipated. It was very difficult to be so incredibly independent, doing my own thing, running a wound business, having a legal nurse consulting business. I was single. I had two children, um, go, 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 volunteering, doing all kinds of fabulous things, you know, in the community and to have it just removed so quickly. And to be, I mean, 
I was cast to my fingertips. I They had to put my call light around my big toe on my right foot to get the nurse because I couldn't even hit a call button. And they transferred me using like a large draw sheet. They would lift me from the bed to a recliner and recliner to a bed because I couldn't stand on either leg. I didn't even know up until that point that you could be non-weight bearing on your arms. Like they didn't even want me pushing on my elbows to help adjust or re because both arms were significantly broken. And so it was a real, there was a lot for me to have to learn as far as being a patient, how to be able to let other people take care of me where I was so used to, I'm just going to say it and, and I'm not even embarrassed by it. Yes, I have control issues. I'm used to being in control of my life. I like being in control of my life, whether or not it is a true thing or not. I like being the one who is giving care rather than receiving. I can tell you for a lot of nurses that may feel um, or anybody going to any job that they may feel like I'd give anything not to be able to have to go to work today. I spent three months non-weight bearing. I transferring from a bed to a recliner, having somebody feed me an open water bottle, floss your teeth, brush your teeth, wipe your bottom, like the epitome of everything at age 40 you know, um, that's, that's learning some gratitude. I mean, that's definitely an opportunity for gratitude. It was really um, humbling for me. Yes. And, and grateful. I remember laying in bed thinking I would give anything to be able to vacuum. I, of course I like cleaning though. Right. But to be able to do just anything that had some resemblance of normalcy. Um, and the worst part was it wasn't like my brain. I mean, that my kids will still joke about this. Like, remember when mom had that traumatic brain injury and she doesn't remember everything? <laughs> like, there's a lot of truth to that. But for the most part, my head was there, but my body was completely broken. And to have to go through that healing process and maintain really um, to your point, every single day, it was bringing it down to the most kind of intimate level of I'm grateful that there is air in my lungs. I'm grateful that I'm still here as a mother. I'm grateful that I at least get to continue this life journey, you know, with my children, even though it's going to be hard for the next little while. And when my doctor had said, now's when the real work starts, like when I went home, he wasn't kidding. That was when it got really hard. The surgeries are one thing. Um, coming out of surgery with a chest tube in because you ended up with a collapsed lung or, you know, I, I'd had catheters and all kinds of things that I wasn't used to having as a person, but very much used to taking care of as a nurse. It was very um, humbling. And it was one of those experiences in my life I learned a lot from. I wouldn't uh, knock on wood. I would never want to go back and repeat it. But even my kids, my children, I say my children, they're um, young adults, but they grew a lot from that experience because they had to, you know, they grew up in a way that I don't think they would have grown up. That was back in the day where we used checkbooks still, you know, this back in 2010 where stuff wasn't all online 2011. And um, my oldest son would go to the post office and get my mail and bring it up. And I would show him how to write checks and balance the checkbook. I learned things like my kids' greatest fear was when they were at school, they were staying with my ex-husband and, and his wife, and they were great with them. I'll be forever grateful for their support during all of that as well. You know, making sure that my kids were able to get up to see me um, and whatnot. But my kids learned things on, on life skills that I don't think they would have learned it any other way. And even though those were things that 
young kids should not have to learn to do at that age, I feel like it better prepared them for where they're at in their lives today. Even though there was a lot of hardship that came out, there was more good than bad, certainly. Definitely, it's the hard times where we do the most growing. It's so rare that in the easy times is when you're making these like huge periods of growth in your life or, you know, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. It doesn't usually happen during the easy, you know, times, you know, <laughs> smooth when, when it's smooth sailing. Uh, the refiner's fire can be really rough. And you always have to think, I always call it that ring of fire, right? What I work labor and delivery, and we always say right at the end when that baby's pushing through that ring of fire, there's something wonderful on the other side. You just have to get to the other side. You have to be patient and get through that. So. Hey, nurses. Did you know that Nurse.com is the ultimate destination for all nurses? It's where you can find your nurse life in one place. That's right, everything from networking with your peers and continuing education to industry news and career opportunities. It's all there for you. Nurse.com is your dedicated platform to explore a wide range of job opportunities from all across the nation. Whether you're a fresh graduate testing the waters or a seasoned pro desiring for a change in scenery, we've got you covered. Nurse.com forward slash jobs features posts from entry level to executive leadership in every practice setting, even in specialties you might not have considered. So why wait? Leverage your skills and passion in an opportunity worthy of both. Visit nurse.com forward slash jobs today and initiate your journey towards the next chapter in your nursing career. So did you do labor and delivery as well? I did early on. And then I, like that was my, when I was 19 and 20. In fact, I delivered my first baby. One of our patients walked in, it was baby number six for her. And she went so fast. The doctor came in as the baby was literally like, I don't think she was in the hospital for 20 minutes. This lady, we barely got her into bed. And that was the first time that I had an opportunity to basically deliver <laughs> A baby. Yeah, early, early on, my, my background was um, trauma, flight for life, ICU. I used to run on the code team. Love that. I used to love that high adrenaline kind of thing. The older that I've gotten, you know, when you fly in a plane and, and I do a lot of travel for work and there's always somebody who is going to take their lisinopril and have two small little bottles of drinks on a plane and then they're lightheaded and dizzy and the flight attendant's like is there a doctor or a nurse on this plane I'm like oh my goodness this has got to stop people have got to be smarter <laughs> every like going into Vegas is party central right that's where I'm based out of it so it's just uh I don't miss anymore the older that I've gotten I really like I said I've really in enjoyed and embraced uh, the legal nurse consulting and the expert witness and being able to work and teach in the wound care. And I don't miss that early um, trauma end. But I did, to answer your question, I did um, stay on with my labor and delivery skills for a number of years because I was able to deliver my younger sister, both of her um, two youngest boys. And so I kept those skills up at a critical access hospital in Southern Nevada because that's where she was going to be delivering. And so, yes, I, like most nurses, we are doing usually three, four or five things, right? We always have a couple of things going on. But I love nursing as a profession because of that, because there is so 
there's so much flexibility in what you can do and and skills that you can really put to the test. And I really did. I loved I love being a nursery um, nurse. You know, that was like the best of all. It's just sitting there holding these little babies that just listening to their brand new little squeaks and snorts and little lip smacks. There's not anything better than that. <laughs> oh. I used to want to do that. I, I I did a pediatric oncology for many years. And then also to what you were saying, I've done a variety of different nursing over the years, anywhere from home health, hospice, director of nursing, uh, entrepreneurship, the whole thing. But I actually, I, I really love wound care. And I recently, just the other day, interviewed Cheryl Hines from Curb Your Enthusiasm which is now available on the podcast uh, as of yesterday and today. And her daughter spent like three months in the hospital from a golf cart accident uh, where the golf cart flipped on top of her and landed on her. And she had these terrible, terrible um, burns and wounds on her legs. And uh, I was one of her home nurses who took care of her and was doing the wound vax and everything like that. And of course, in hospice, we also do like tons of wounds, uh, all the decubitus ulcers that form and, and everything like that. So you work in wound care, you teach about wound care. How did you get into that? So originally, when I was 19 years old, 18, I did want to be a pediatric oncology nurse. And I think being exposed to young children who were dying, usually it was cancer or terminally ill, whatever it was that they had was a lot that was a lot to take in as like a 19 and 20 year old. And I was really fortunate when I was doing my preceptorship for my bachelor's degree that I had my preceptor saw something in me that I don't even think that I knew was there. I, I mean, I ran on the code team. I was one of those nurses at the hospital, albeit very young. My process was you give me an algorithm, I can go by that, right? Things weren't intimidating for me when it came to popping an IV in. There wasn't an IV I couldn't put in anyone, whether it was in on, we used to put them in even babies' heads at that time, um, in their feet on people, our bariatric patients where you couldn't palpate, you know, a vein to put in, but you knew by location where it should be. And those kind of things came very easy for me. And she really created an avenue for me during my preceptorship for me to be able to go. That was the first time she was a flight nurse and she was able to get me on under the preceptorship. This being now, mind you, this was 30 years ago, 33 years ago that I was able to do flight for life with her, go into ICU. She had was one of those nurses at the hospital who had an in everywhere. And so if there was anything really new or exciting going on, she would be like, oh, you've got to run down to surgery. They've got this, or we have this coming in the ER. It would be really great exposure for you to see that. And so she was the one who kind of encouraged me to go into that uh, trauma ICU ER end is where my early onset was. And then I had a friend who was doing home health at the time and she said, oh, you should do home health. You know, the pay is great and you go out and see five or six patients or something. And when I hear nurses that tell me home health is an easy job, it was honestly one of the hardest jobs I ever had. And I tell students all the time, if you want an IV to stay in or you want negative pressure to stay on, 
you ask a home health nurse to do it because we don't want to be called out at 2 a.m., right? Tell me that I'm wrong. Exactly. You have backup. If you go out to put an IV in for home health, there's just you. So you get really good at that and you make sure that things stay in, that they're taped down well, that that negative pressure isn't going to be pulled off because usually you're the person that has to go out and fix that if that is the case. Like home health had its own set of challenges, but it made me um, a better nurse, I feel like. Like every avenue, every component of nursing that I've been, every facet that I've been able to work in has really uh help develop me into the person, the nurse that I am today. But it was through home health. That was where my early start for wound care really started because that's where the nurse, you know, our director of nurses or whoever assigned you a patient would say, oh, you've got to go out. You've got these five patients today. Three of them have wounds. Well, I was, you know, 23 23 years old. And that was before we actually had, we put Unaboots on everybody right? They had a lower extremity wound. We didn't get ABIs. You kind of went in the supply room and looked and said, oh, this looks good. It's a moderate draining wound. I will put an alginate on. It was almost like we were guessing. There wasn't anybody who really taught us how to do wound care. Like we were, wound care has been its own little entity until about the last, I would say, 10 or 15 years is where wound care really started developing some what we would call more standards. We don't have everything in wound care is not evidence-based, but we do have, we're understanding wounds better. Everybody, every type of wound, whether it's diabetic, pressure injuries, burns, whatever that is, plastic surgery type, of things that are done, at least everybody is finally getting on the same page when it comes to how do wounds heal? How does the skin heal? What are the stages? It was so disjointed before. Everybody was kind of doing their own thing when it came to wounds care. But that was really my early start into that. And I, I loved it. I think the thing that I loved the most about it was you could see progress. You know, much like physical therapists take somebody like me, who is literally broken from the neck down, to watch the improvement of I literally had to learn how to walk again three different times, right? Use that left leg three different times when they would do something and I was non-weight bearing for three months on it. So even my therapist, like they said, when we get to see people progress or heal or find increased range of motion, those kind of things, they love that progress. I feel the same a lot when it comes to wounds. Um, most of the wounds that I do, I, like you, I have a pretty strong background in home health and hospice. So not all wounds. We know they're not all, our goal may not be to heal that wound. It might be for pain management or odor management or to help prevent it from getting an infection or getting worse. But predominantly, as far as recognizing the patients who are high risk and treating those wounds appropriately, that's where I have really spent the last probably about 20, 18 years of my career has predominantly been in wound care. Now in there also like delivered my two nephews and things like that, but predominantly it's been in wound care and in the legal aspect as well. Again, going into an area I would have never thought if somebody would ask me when I was 19 years old, would I be putting maggots on a patient's wounds and would I sit in a courtroom or go to a deposition where an attorney is going to chew you up and spit you out, my answer would have been a hard, fast no. (laughs) And 
you know, down your career, years later, you find that you do have tools that are in you. That was one of the things that my preceptor, like I was saying, I'll be forever grateful for somebody who saw things in me that I didn't even see in myself. And then she helped me develop those. She served as a really great resource to me. It's one of the reasons why I think I love teaching so much, being able to help others um, either answer questions that they have or develop a new skill set or hone a skill set that they already have. I love seeing people grow in their perspective fields, whatever that may be. I think I've seen a lot of wounds. <laughs> I've been a nurse maybe half the number of years that you've been a nurse. But for you, like, do you have a a specific experience that you look back on and you're like, wow, that was a that was a really, really challenging wound. This many years in, I tell a lot of doctors that I work with when I got into wound care and when I decided my sister and I, brother-in-law, and I, we decided we would open a wound center in this smaller town. It was when you talk about profiling, <laughs> it happens for when we choose businesses, where's a great place to put a business. It would, They had a critical access hospital. There was no wound care center within an hour and it, you had to have out-of-state insurance. It was either Utah or Nevada. For Nevada, it was an hour and a half away. We have a lot of what's called snowbirds there. So before we opened this wound center, I realized even though I was a WCCDWC that I still had, and that's regular wound care certified. We were all debridement certified. We had six wound care nurses and a physical therapist. We had a fabulous medical director who most doctors will tell you that many wound nurses know more than they do when it comes to wound care, how to appropriately treat wound care. We're seeing more and more physicians in, in our classes and our groups because they're taught so very little. And what they were taught was from a book written 20 years ago, and it was basically wet to dry, right? We know that we've gone away from those. But that being said, I sometimes say to doctors, I'm rarely impressed when it comes to, they'll say, oh, I've, I've got a really impressive wound for you to see. There are probably five that I remember frequently. One of them was not even our patient originally. It was a gentleman who was in his early 50s. He looked like he was in his 70s. He drank a lot. He had a lot of addiction issues. He had had um, a traumatic brain injury at one point. And so he actually lived with his parents who were in their 80s. And his mother was the one that I was seeing. So his father had brought the mother into our wound center. And we I just remember she had a wound on her lower extremity because we had certain rooms and she was in our room that uh, where we would treat lower extremities. And there was an odor in this room. Now the the father and this the son had come in and there was an odor. And when I took the dressings off, nothing in her wounds uh, had an odor to it. And, and I'm thinking, where is that odor coming from? It was definitely an infection smell. And, and it wasn't her, you know, she wasn't, uh, she was incontinent, but she was clean. I was kind of doing a check over of her and the father at the end had asked me, he said, would you mind looking at my son's head? He's got some sutures that I think need to come out. And I said, oh, when were they put in? And he said six months earlier. So he had. Oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm, he had fallen through a literally it was like he was looking at a TV, a store that had TVs in the like window. I don't know what led to it, but his head had gone through the window of these TV and into a TV. And so the whole back of his head, about a six inch 
piece, like a large cap on the very top of his whole head had been stitched down and he had never gone in to have the stitches removed. (laughs) So when I went over to him, I lightly pressed on the top of that hair because I could see scabbing and all around the edges and it was black. It was like just black eschar on the top. It was weird. There was hair that was still grown over top of that at one point that was now dyed off. It was a big flat piece of Ascar right on the top of his head. I barely pushed on it and it was like green yellow goo came out from the sides, all the sides. It was the most purulent smell, just rancid. I can't even explain. I have a very, very strong stomach. Most people who do wound care, we rely on our sense of smell to help us, right? So I even have to say, I was like, wow, my niece who was applying for nursing school at the time, she was one of my medical assistants was standing right by me and she had a pair of gloves on and she just looked at me. I said to her, she went, you know, three shades of white that almost was white green. And she said, I think I better step out of the room. I said, yes, I, you need to go out because I don't need somebody on the floor. So what we did is our offices were connected to the hospital of where we practice as well. But I just started taking some scissors and cutting that those sutures apart they were already pulling apart and when I lifted it there was his just his skull just his entire skull and this creamy green gooey thick purulent drainage and it was literally his skull right there so I put I just barely cleaned it up I said we're going to put you in a wheelchair and walk you down to the ER because the ER doc needs to see this so I put a saturated saline gauze I took him down myself I'm telling the doctor in the ER who, he was a fabulous doctor. I said, now you're even going to be impressed by this. I lifted up the back of the saline gauze and he could see the skull on that. And he said, we're going to put him in. They sent him flight for life down to Vegas. I said, you do realize they're going to send him right back with an order for negative pressure to go on that. He said, oh, they're going to keep him, this and that. I don't know how we walked around and wasn't dead because of an infection, but In any event, that was a pretty impressive thing. And sure enough, like seven hours later, they send him down flight for life. And I get a referral back from the hospital he got sent to to put negative pressure on. And so (laughs) we healed him. We shaved his head, healed him with negative pressure. I mean, it was impressive to see the things that you can heal when even coming from somebody who he, he still drank a lot. He smoked. His dietary was bad. Like our bodies are meant to heal. Right. Even in the worst of circumstances, our bodies are meant to heal. Um, I can only imagine how much better he would have healed if he would have been doing things right. But in spite of that, uh, that was one of those very impressive that just it was kind of we were so hard yeah, to get him healed. And, you know, it was kind of one of those things that he actually ended up dying in a car accident, a, a drunk driving. It was a single about a year and a half after we got his head healed. You know, there's been some very graphic ones, some burns, patients that have had significant burns, just all kinds of wounds over the year. The body is an amazing thing. And you have to learn how that body heals because everybody, even though the way a body heals, the way cells work, all work in the same way. But the way that everybody, bought, every person's body is going to heal is going to be different. And so learning to be kind of what I call like a wound whisperer, like you have to understand that patient on every end. And I honestly feel like some of the very best nurses and clinicians I've ever worked with have been wound care clinicians because we always say you have to treat the whole patient, not just the hole in the patient. If their blood sugars aren't stabilized, the wound won't heal. 
If they're in pain, the wound won't heal. If there's an infection, the wound won't heal. If they're nutritionally compromised, the wound won't heal. In order to get that wound to heal, you've got to have all of your parts in place. So we get really good at looking at the whole patient. And it's not a one-time look at them once. It's a continual week after week after week after week. And another and non-compliant stuff, right? Like psychosocial, the psychosocial part, you know, my psych instructor in school said it's all psych. And it's so true because you're always dealing with people. And and I had a guy once who had a terrible decubitus on the back of his heel where you could see his Achilles tendon all the way through because he fell asleep in his um, recliner and he had poor circulation and, you know, some diabetes and stuff like that. And, and he had this terrible wound on the back of his heel, but man, try to get him to stop walking around with his wound back. You know, he just, we couldn't get him. He was like 80 years old. We couldn't get him to sit down. One day he was like driving the car with his wound wound back on. And I was like, what are you doing, man? (laughs) I tell you it's, it is, the struggle is real when it comes to non-adherence and non-compliance with wound care. And so we we always say, try to meet them halfway or partway. That's one of the biggest litigated, the things that lead to litigation, surprisingly, in wound care. You know, we know the two biggest litigated areas in long-term and skilled are falls and wounds, mismanagement of wounds, failure to identify wounds, failure to treat a wound correctly. But that non-adherence, that non-compliance, is a, it's a real deal. And the problem is the patient could be non-compliant, and yet the family's the one that comes at you two years later saying, why did mom or dad lose their leg? They got septic. And to your point, you're saying they weren't doing anything that we were asking them to do. And why am I having to defend appropriate care and treatment when the patient they absolutely have a huge component. There's a huge component as to what they put into it, right? Yeah, it's that whole classic, you can lead the horse to water, but you can't make them drink. And a lot of times, you you like you just said, you know, we look at the whole situation, especially in home health, right? Not only are you looking at the whole patient, but you're looking at the house, you're looking at the family, you're looking at like what kind of access they have to, you know, medications or to food, uh, are, you know, how they are from a socioeconomic perspective, uh, what kind of support they have at home. Uh, and you look at all of that in home health and, you know, that same guy, the one that was walking around with his wound back on and we couldn't get him to sit down, his wife had this fascination for Persian rugs. And she had literally about 20 Persian rugs everywhere. <laughs> And I was like, this is like a risk for falls. <laughs> He's walking around with a wound back. I just kept shaking my head. Like every time I'd walk in, I'd just say, can we just like pull up these rugs just for the next couple of months? Like pull up the rugs and, you know, just if you could just sit down. <laughs> that you, you people, you get a real feel for somebody when you're in their home. And we know as a home health nurse, you know, you're a guest in their home. And so we always have to approach those things. Some of those homes, they're just seriously hoarders are a real thing. Or they've got cats and dogs and there's urine and 
stool and stuff they're walking. You can't even sit down. You know, there were homes that you would save that patient for very last because you knew when you went in, they would have nine dogs and you'd have dog and cat hair all over you. And that's the one end that people in a hospital long-term are skilled. You don't really know where that person came from, right? In home health, you know, you get a different view and a different picture of that whole entire family, just to your point, everything, the resources they have, somebody could present to the hospital and that whole big picture isn't even really addressed. It's never seen. We don't really know what brings a person to into an ER long-term care, right? Unless it's yeah. unless they come with an ambulance and you've got a good ambulance crew that gives you a detailed history of what that environment was like. But yes, certainly lots of struggles on that end. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So I had a question for you. When you were talking about the negative pressure prior to wound vax being in existence, was there another more... So when I first went to nursing school, wet to dry was still, or moist to dry, was still the standard. That was what they taught us in county hospital was this moist to dry type of thing. And for debridement purposes and all of that. But then right at around that time was when I saw my very first wound vac, which was about 16 years ago. Now, how long have wound vacs actually been around? You know, I I can tell you now I know that the concept in theory behind negative pressure was much earlier than this. But in home health, I did my first negative pressure in 1994. And I remember that because I was pregnant with my oldest. That was when I did my very first. And in 19, I want to say 97, our home health, our director of nurses was fabulous. She wanted four or five of us nurses to be able to go down. There was a particular company and back then, and I guess I'd say this, it was KCI. They were one of the pioneers with using the negative pressure. And so they were putting on a a big one day seminar where my company paid for several of us nurses to go down and we got to be what they called wound back champions. I still have my certificate from that. (laughs) But and the concept behind negative pressure has not changed a lot. It's been in this last probably year or two that they've finally come out with a hybrid drape that is forgiving. So like when you go to put something down, if it doesn't suck down, there's this weird gratification that happens when you put negative pressure on. And especially if it's a hard location or a hard spot and it sucks down immediately and it doesn't, there's no air leak. I know that sounds so crazy. The things that we get excited about, but we want to do like this happy it's dance. It's so satisfying. Like, Look what I did. <laughs> oh my gosh. First try. We didn't have to tape. We didn't have to use the ostomy paste. We weren't having to, you know, <laughs> everybody that's done negative pressure long enough, you know what I'm talking about. But the concept, the theory behind a lot of that, at one point it was foam. Then they had the gauze and they were using it. Now, it predominantly, I would say most of us probably are most familiar with 
the gauze type of negative pressure. And like I said, there's the newer hybrid drape where we don't have to border around the wound. You can put the drape down, you can lift it up and put it back down. There's all kinds of fabulous things that have come out. The Veraflow, where it kind of irrigates it, and those are in acute or um, like step-down units. We've got those Pico, which are the ones that they can be sent home with a surgery type that's disposable. So negative pressures come a long way, but wet to dry, unfortunately, stayed in there up until about the last probably five or six years is really where they started saying no more wet to dry. It isn't a great form of mechanical debridement. It cools the wound off. It doesn't do anything really for debridement. They're painful. It First of all, it cools it down and then it dries it out. And those are like two of the worst things that we can do at a cellular level for cells for wound healing. And I'm a negative pressure fan. Like I'm when I first learned to use them, I'm so grateful that our director of nurses that they saw the importance in being trained appropriately because there's a lot of from a legal standpoint, I probably get mm, six negative pressure cases a year of inappropriate application of negative pressure that have resulted in usually access of ephemeral artery or um, retained foam or sponge. Those are the two big things where we've seen adverse events with negative pressure. And generally speaking, it's because nurses are trying to train other nurses. Now, like with any wound care product, these manufacturers, they want you using their product and more so they want you using it appropriately. They are more than happy to come wherever you're at and teach your team of healthcare professionals. And we know that wound care isn't exclusive to nursing anymore. You know, there's, uh, I mean, it could be LPN, LBN, RN, PT, OT, physicians. But that being said, whatever the product is, and speaking of negative pressure, especially, they want you using it and they want you using it correctly. They would love to teach you to use their product. I'm always telling them, call them. They'll come to you. They will teach you how to use it, apply it, teach you the tricks of the trade. I personally, if I have, if it's an option to use negative pressure, I'm on it. Like I will use it if that is available because of how fast they heal. When nurses tell me they don't like negative pressure, I and it's my theory, this is my opinion, I think it's because they're not comfortable in the application of it, right? Like maybe they've had yeah. a couple of bad yeah. experiences. And so, because once you learn how to use it and use it right, there's like no going back. We're talking alginates, uh, hydrofibers, foam, all these things are fabulous, but nothing takes the place of negative pressure in the wound care end, right? Now, not all yeah. wounds are appropriate for negative pressure, but I'm I'm a fan. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, negative pressure has really been, it's been around a while. I, I wish that the hard part is, is the cost of it. You know, it is those units are anywhere between like 20 and $35,000 a piece. And so it's a pretty pricey unit to have. And I always say you have to be selective about your patients. If patients are non-adherent, non-compliant, not going to leave it on, turn it off, aren't good with it, they lose their right to have the good fancy stuff, you know? <laughs> I was thinking like, Prior to there being like the fancy wound vax, I could just picture somebody with like, you know, cupping, you know, like where you do cupping. I could just picture somebody be like, well, this could work. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I, in wound care, unfortunately, I think there was a lot of that's it's weird to say we used to put mylanta betadine with sugar in wounds. I don't even know what the theory was behind that, but we did all kinds of crazy, weird stuff and people still are holding to those things that there is no legitimate reason 
why you should be using talcum powder. And I mean, I'm, I mean, like cornstarch, right? Like that's meant for baking. That is not meant for wounds. And that's where people really get themselves into trouble is like, well, my great, great grandmother used this. And if it were good enough for her. And I always say this example, because in wound care is the one area where people don't want to advance. We want to stay with old stuff like Una boots for everything or wet to dry or those things. It seriously makes my head want to spin around three times when I see that still being done in charts. But that being said, I always tell them if you start having pain in your right upper quadrant and you every time you ate something fatty or whatever, and you're like, oh, I might have a bad gallbladder. So you go to your doctor and he refers you to a surgeon. They get a height scan. They say, yeah, you've got a little bit of a fatty gallbladder. Let's go ahead and get that out. And the first surgeon you go to tells you, we're going to open you up about four or five inches. We're going to put a down drain bag in there. You'll have an NG tube. You'll be in the hospital four or five days. We're going to take your gallbladder out. You're going to be like, hold the phone. I thought if there weren't large gallstones, I could have it out with a laparoscopy, right? Like everybody else. I'm in and out, same day surgery. My recovery, the only pain I really have is where in my scapula area where they blow that gas into you. I didn't think I had to be in the hospital that long. Well, this older doc is like, nope, I've always done it this way. This is the way my grandpa did it. That was, that's what I feel about <laughs> wet to dry dressings. And some of the stuff that these people don't want to give it up. I'm like, you wouldn't go have your gallbladder out the old fashioned way. Just like people are entitled to have, we have fabulous wound care products on the market. We have fabulous things to help wounds to heal. And people need to get on board with that and start practicing what would be more the standard of care and get away from that old fashioned stuff. It drives me nuts. <laughs> yeah, it's okay to like evolve and to to grow and to change with the times. And hey, look, I went and I did like a medical mission to Haiti. If you ever want to get crafty with stuff and you don't have a lot and you want to use that ingenuity, there's lots of places you can go where you can do that. I had a kid who had an infiltrated IV who was just a baby And I was like, do we have any warm packs? Do we have, what do we have here? And they're like, we have some boiling water. And I was like, what am I going to do? And I poured boiling water, well, not boiling, but hot into a, a diaper. And then I took the dry side of the diaper and I put it on the kid's arm. And then I wrapped it with the sticky sides of the, of the diaper. That's all I had. So like, did I feel like MacGyver? Sure. <laughs> totally felt like MacGyver. And that can be a fun feeling of like, I was resourceful, okay? Being resourceful is one thing, but completely turning a blind eye to things that are, you know, so much better than what we've done historically. Um, Right. That's being, you know, kind of short-sighted and not looking out for the greater good. What is in the best welfare of the patient? And we know wound care can be expensive and it takes a while to heal. And so people think that, going cheap on your dressing is, for example, wet to dry. Well, it's very inexpensive dressing to put on. The problem is it's going to be take longer to heal, harder to heal, the manpower, the time to put in on it. I always say, add your time up, your salary time or your hourly time, plus the cost of that doing twice a day dressing. And then versus putting a dressing on three times a week that might be a $10 dressing, 
there is a huge cost savings in that in and of itself when you look at it for manpower for what goes into it, but also risk for infection. They're slower to heal. You know, there are just there are things that we did that I look back and that's why I always say I know that patients healed in spite of what we were doing for them and not because of what we were doing for them. Our bodies are fundamentally geared to heal. It's what they do. Our job is to, and I always say, we're not, uh, honestly, as nurses, we kind of embrace this, like, I am the healer. You and I are not the healer, okay? Only a body can heal. I can't build new tissue in a wound. I cannot build new skin on a patient. I cannot build a new epidermis, dermis, you know, granulation tissue, but I can facilitate an environment for that body to help the body do what it does best. And that is make sure the patient's eating, make sure I have an appropriate dressing on, make sure there's no infection, get rid of any dead tissue, slough or ascar. Like I can facilitate an environment and then let that body do what it is supposed to do. And that's why we say we're facilitators of wound healing. And I'm not trying to take away from the importance of where nurses are in yeah. the healthcare paradigm. But the fact of the matter is, is we don't actually heal. The body heals. So yeah. your job is to facilitate an environment where the body can do what it does best. And that is we're, we're facilitators of healing. You know? Well, first of all, I think it's such an amazing thing to end on because what a great statement for people to take away from all of this, because not only did you have to experience healing on your own because of your own very, very traumatic injuries that you went through, that you now have the ability to have compassion, to, to empathize with patients. And just you just brought so much to this episode today. Uh, it was just so full and rich with information, just with personal story. And uh, you're clearly just an expert in your field. So I'm just, I'm so grateful for you for coming and spending this time with me. Well, I appreciate you having me. It's certainly my pleasure. Thank you for the invite. Absolutely. We will have you on again. I have no doubt. I will likely see you at the Wild on Wounds convention, I am guessing. You will see me. Yes, I'm going to be there with bells on. I love it there. I want everyone to come. I think um, that it's such a great way just to feel a part of that wound care community um, to be able to rub shoulders with some of the best and and learn, continually to learn in your wound care journey. So, and and have fun while we're doing it. It'll be great. I look forward to Absolutely. meeting you in person. So if you like gross things, come to the Wild on Wounds conference <laughs> where there'll be plenty of gross pictures for you to look at. <laughs> there we go. I love that one. It is true. Most, most of us are weirdly, most wound care people, I think we're a little bit, we are just a little weird. I'm going to say that we, we like weird stuff and we like to see, we, we take the challenge on. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it's been a pleasure, Tracy. Thank you for, for this hour that you spent with me and all my love to you. Thank you. I appreciate you. <laughs> Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. If you are a nurse who enjoyed this episode and you have an idea for future episodes, you can connect with me by downloading the nurse.com app. Nurse Dot is a nurse.com original podcast series. Production, music, and sound editing by Don Lunsford. Production coordination by Rhea Wade. Additional editing by John Wells. 
thank you to all the listeners for tuning in to the Nurse Dot Podcast. Until next time, keep spreading the love and the care.